Hey friends, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, I'm your host, and this is episode number 223. And today we're sitting down with Carl Forehand to talk about his brand new book, Out Into the Desert, Thriving Outside Organized Religion. He wrote the book with his wife, Laura. Uh, she was not able to make it. I believe she had to work. We just couldn't get a time where we were all uh, going to be together. So I talked to Carl. And uh, I told Carl before we hit record, I think before I hit record, maybe it was in the episode, I don't remember. Uh, I'm recovering from COVID, by the way. We got COVID in our house, uh, was it uh, three weeks ago? My daughter brought her home from kindergarten. She was at kindergarten for a week. <laughs> we were all sick. We avoided it for two and a half, whatever years it's been, and we just got nailed. And uh, my daughter recovered pretty quick, it was like three days. Uh, my wife and I, we still have lingering side effects that come and go as they please. <laughs> One of those for me is brain fog. Uh, I'll be saying something and I'll literally forget what I'm talking about in the moment. It's the weirdest thing, uh, but apparently it happens to a lot of people. So anyway, I said to Carl, either before the episode or in the episode, whatever, I said, this book is so important because it, it gives so many, so many words to so many thoughts that so many people have regarding church and their experience in the church, especially if they have been hurt or traumatized uh, at the hands of the church, the church community, church staff, whatever it is, the system of the church. And one of the things that Carl is often really misunderstood for is if you go follow him on social media, people are always on his case because they think that he's saying, you know, destroy the church, the church is dumb, we don't need the church, the church is stupid, whatever. He's not saying that. Instead of this book and his, uh, his ministry, for lack of a better word, whatever you want to call it, it's an invitation to reimagine church, to rethink what church can be, to dream about the possibilities of a community that is more known for healing souls than it is for wounding them and hurting them. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to think about because regardless of your experience in the church— the system of the church has some problems. Uh, the system, the, the overarching, the big C church has some problems that need to be addressed. And uh, we talk about some of those problems in this episode. Uh, Carl tackles a lot of them, Carl and Laura in the book. Uh, so anyway, I'll put all the links to his stuff in the show notes along with a link to the book. Uh, a link to my book is also in the show notes, Rethinking Everything. It's my story, my spiritual journey from this black and white world of fundamentalism to this great wide world of color that I'm in now where everything is welcome and everything has a voice at the table in my life. So I'll put the link to those things in the show notes along with Patreon, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show financially. Patreon's a lot of fun, friends. Uh, we just had... Let's see, I'm recording this. Yeah, so we just had a, a Zoom call last weekend, and the Zoom call was all patrons. All patrons are invited to hop on the Zoom call and just talk and meet people and hang out. We have a Discord chat that goes on all day long. Sometimes it's kind of quiet in the day. Sometimes people are messaging all the time, but it's a, a place to chat, to share what's going on in your life. Is there something that's going on that you need prayer for, help with? Uh, do you have questions? You just want to talk about 
whatever it is you want to talk about, what you're reading, whatever. We also have a book club, a book group, where uh, right now we're reading through Colby Martin's book, The Shift, and we read two chapters a week. We have a separate Discord group for people to talk about the book. We're going to have two Zoom calls, one halfway through the book, one at the end to kind of talk about how the book impacted us, questions we have, things that hit us hard, maybe even things we disagreed with. Uh, We're trying to get Colby to perhaps join us for the last Zoom call so people can ask him questions and get to interact a little bit with the author of the book. So many fun things, but Patreon's a place to to build community. It's about meeting people and feeling less alone out in the desert, to borrow uh, the the title of Carl's book, right? Out in the desert, out in the wilderness, wandering around, losing our faith, evolving our faith, whatever, to find people who are in the same boat as we are and to make friends. It's all about community. Whether you give $3 a month, $100 a month, everybody gets the same thing, which is entrance into all aspects of this of this community. It's been, it's been a real joy for me uh, to meet a lot of these people virtually, a lot of you virtually, and get to connect with you and hear your stories. And it's just so, so much fun. So anyway, link to Patreon is in the uh, show notes. Buy Me Coffee is a place to go give like a one-time contribution if you want to go and give 10 bucks or 20 bucks or five bucks or whatever one time, not like a recurring monthly thing. Uh, that's a place to go and do that. So anyway, I'm going to be quiet. Episode number 223, Carl Forehand, out into the desert, thriving outside organized religion. Enjoy. Wake up, get your morning started, drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. Sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It gonna get started, we can do what we wanna wake up. Wake up, wake up, get your morning started, drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. Sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Gotta move my feet, put in the motion. I know that every door. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Carl Forehand, who wrote a number of books. His latest that we're going to talk about today is called Out into the Desert and was co authored with his lovely wife, Laura, who's not able to be with us today. But, Carl, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you uh, back. Thanks, man. It's a good pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So Out Into the Desert, uh, the subtitle is Thriving Outside of Organized Religion. And I feel like we have we have a lot of things <laughs> to talk about, but let's yeah. start with let's start with the title. Maybe give our listeners a teaser about what this book is about, along with maybe a little bit about your target audience and why you and Laura decided to write this book together. Yes, we've we've always talked in the Desert Sanctuary and so on about when you start to question. Uh, things when you start to evaluate your Christianity or your religion and um, you, you ask two or three questions and it begins to feel like you're you're just wandering out into the desert. Mm-hmm. And so when I stepped away from being a pastor somewhere around 2016, it was because I couldn't do it anymore. I was questioning too many things and I just felt separated from my body and didn't, um, wasn't in any kind of state to be a pastor mm-hmm. over a congregation. So we we attended a, a big church for a while, like you do, you know, to kind of hide out. <laughs> and uh, it, if I told you the name, you would know it. But we attended there for a couple of years, and Laura talks about it 
vividly in the book about us us fighting on the way there because she had been done with organized religion for a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was still trying to fix it. I still thought, you know, I can get involved and I can fix these problems that I see. But uh, someone encouraged us to take a year off to uh, step back, you know, and kind of take a look at organized religion. And eventually we did that. We, we tried to go to a little Methodist church by our house and that didn't work. Um, but so sometime, you know, around the beginning of 2020, like early pandemic kind of thing, we sat down and tried. We've always talked about, you know, we need to reimagine religion. We need to reimagine Christianity. Um, but Rob Bell talks about it like it's a fish standing by the ocean is the analogy he uses. Yeah. When you're in the water, when the fish is in the water, it can't really see the water. It's too close uh -huh. to the water and it, it doesn't have a good perspective. So I, I kind of sat down and uh, coerced Laura into helping me take a real honest look uh -huh. at, at religion in the 21st century. Uh, how the money's spent. Um, are we addicted to church? You know, what, what about evangelism? Is that a real thing? Um, are people getting well there? Are people mm. getting better? Yeah. Or are they not? Yeah. And uh, one of the chapters is called, Would Jesus Go to Church? <laughs> uh, we looked at uh, purity culture because in that, that was titled, uh, How Religion Ruined My Sex Life, mm. was like that. But also in that evaluation, uh, I wouldn't say it's a scientific evaluate. You know, I'm not a professor or a, um, anything like that. But it was it was an honest look, and what came out of that was our stories mm. and the real life things and the painful things that happened to us. And so then the second part was kind of uh, about the thriving and just kind of an honest look at. Uh, are we faking ourselves out or are we really thriving out here? Because it felt like we were. Yeah. So we kind of sat on the shelf for two years where we're going through my stroke recovery. We, uh, I read it to Laura on the way back, there and back. It was a two hour drive. And so we decided we still liked it. We wrote an afterward because of 2020. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that happened in 2020 and we just, still felt after two years that it's maybe worse now than it was mm. and we need to do something. So anyway, it's for nomads, uh, people that are out in the desert, but it also, it gives language to them. Like you were talking about before, mm. you know, people will say me too. That's, that's what I went through. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, a lot of people deconstructed to a certain point and maybe jumped back into church mm -hmm. and uh, maybe went to a more woke church or something, a more progressive church. I think it's for them too, because we need to really honestly look at have I deconstructed far enough. Yeah. And we address that a little bit, but also I think for religious people who are deeply committed to church, you know, like the fish, maybe you need to take a step back and really honestly look at it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely, it really challenges you to take a look at things that you you probably don't think too much about, like you said, when you're up close to it, Sunday mm -hmm. after Sunday, or or week after week. And 
that's what I appreciated the most about it. Now, in the intro, you, you talk about how you you came to this place where you began to feel increasingly like out of place in the church. Mm-hmm. Now, I was wondering if you could tell me more about that inner experience for yourself, because I've had a similar experience. A lot of listeners have reached out to say kind of the same thing, that regardless of whether they go to a conservative church or a more progressive thinking church that kind of welcomes questions, whatever, they still feel like they're this square peg in a round hole. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could tell me more about what it means for you to feel out of place in the church. Yeah, one of the reasons was because Laura was done a long time ago. <laughs> That's what the fight <laughs> were about on the way to uh, it was Brian Zahn's church. That's mm-hmm. where we were going. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with his church. Just, you know, but she was done. Mm-hmm. I mean, the you know, the the things that I stood up against and fought, um, that shrapnel hit my family. Mm-hmm. And so she was just wounded and done um with it and i was beginning i, I went uh, through some spirit uh, spiritual direction training mm-hmm. with some benedictine sisters and um i was starting to open up to that healing mm-hmm. you know and, and once you you began to to feel that then you go to a, a church maybe maybe it's a it's a fairly good church but it still has a tendency to bypass over issues like that it doesn't have time for issues like that um i can't like you mentioned i can't go to bible study and ask a lot of questions and that's (laughs) what i think i would be doing i said wait a minute what about this you know and uh i i don't want to be that that person you know um you kind of feel some of the phoniness um and i think one of the biggest things for me really deep down is I, i know that people are wounded I know they go to church because they're wounded. Mm -hmm. And I know the church wants to help with their woundedness, but systemically it's like racism. It's broken. It's it's a broken system. That's not addressing uh, those issues. And it's, you know, honestly, it's just, it's painful to, to watch that once you kind of understand it. And so there's just so many ways like that, that it no longer felt right. Where was that? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really, that really speaks to me because I mean, thinking about, we haven't been to church in, I think it's been almost five years now. And we tried a couple of like progressive churches and churches that were open to the word deconstruction, even churches that went to the wild goose festival. And like, Mm -hmm. we're really, you know, kind of in all this stuff, but even in those places, like I remember saying to my wife, like, I just feel like this constant need in the church to prove myself. Like, I feel like I always have to prove mm-hmm. my ideas or my theology or what I think about God. I have to have a verse to back this up. Like, it seems to be like this, the, the nature of the church. Like, I'm just so tired of that kind of life and that kind of faith. Like, mm-hmm. I just want to be and I just mm-hmm. want to exist yeah. and I just want to evolve and kind of be like the ocean. Like, I just want to follow the yeah. waves wherever they may lead me. And I like all God. the yeah all those words you're saying (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i was like i just feel like i i don't fit here anymore which seems so weird because that's all i ever wanted to do with my life was to be a pastor and to be in the church and now to look back over the last five years of not being in church (laughs) it feels so odd Mm -hmm. and i've really made that my whole focus my whole life and now here i am wanting nothing to do with it yeah 
Indeed. Yeah. So you have a quote um, on page 16. I wanted to read for, for our listeners. Let me pull it up on my screen. And then maybe you could respond to it. Uh, we kind of touched on it already, but you said that the church is described as a family. But what, what if we are neglecting our current family because we're always searching for the next addition to our clan? What if the lost sheep is really within the people that already attend? What if the most recent drop in our membership is due to valid a valid problem within the organization that we don't have the time to address? What if the wounded are hobbling out one door as we greet the new members coming into the other? I was wondering if you talk talk to me about this because mm. I remember I, I felt this as a pastor, Carl. Like this is one of those things where you were talking in the book, and I'm like, oh yes, like this, put, this puts a lot of words on what I was feeling, but. I remember like very distinctly one Sunday morning, I was standing in the pulpit and we were singing, singing a hymn or something like that. And I remember feeling this, this pressure. We had like an elder meeting the week before and like this pressure from the board to grow the church, right? Like to do outreach events. They're always like, you know, you got to bring the kids in because the more, the more kids there are, the more, uh, you know, they're going to bring the parents and the parents bring the money and like all this different stuff. I remember standing there looking out over the, the congregation and looking at the people who are already in the pews mm -hmm. like one man you know his son committed suicide we had another guy who was like a known alcoholic in the church another guy lost his job somebody yeah. struggling with cancer i remember thinking to myself like the lost sheep like you said they're, they're right here like why right. on earth do we need to go look for more lost sheep when we're doing quite frankly a lousy job at caring for the ones who are already here and i remember like that was around the time I started to feel really disillusioned about like evangelism and outreach and church growth models, because, you know, most churches, I think, really aren't stewarding, for lack of a better word, like stewarding the pain very well in their pews, well mm -hmm. enough to bring even more people in with more stories and more baggage. Right. Does that make any sense to you? Like when I was yeah, reading absolutely. All, this, all these thoughts were coming to my head while I was reading that. Yeah. So the, the I think that chapter is called the main thing because we yeah. always yeah. said evangelism is the main thing. Mm -hmm. My denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, the former leader, when numbers were down, you know, a couple million in that big, huge organization, mm -hmm. he, his quote was, well, what we need to do is just go evangelize we need yeah. to get in and the church becomes kind of like a multi-level marketing group um where we got to keep bringing people in because they're hobbling out the other door yeah and you know 70 percent of the money 70 percent of the time is spent on salaries buildings you know producing the show on sunday morning probably the most extreme examples of that are you know places like uh, Hillsong and, mm -hmm. and Driscoll, where there's just this, this emphasis on numbers and more, more, more. Um, Sarah Bessie um, said something one time. She said, the church doesn't have room for my grief. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's right. been a tremendous statement in our evaluation of of uh, organized religion and mm. I, I would never say that a pastor or a church has bad intentions because mm. most of them don't sure they don't yeah but it's just like any other business you know it's a constant struggle while you're trying to grow the business gain new business 
to take care of your clients you already have to make it kind of crass, but at, you know, at least spend the time, you know, if, if Glenn comes into church on Sunday morning, deeply wounded about something, um, the show's still going to go on. Yeah. It's got to go on. And, um, may be able to meet with the pastor a week from Thursday. He may not be equipped to help you anyhow. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those things, it's just a, it's just a big systemic thing that doesn't really care for its family members yeah. because it has to grow. You know, <laughs> it has to, to be growing because people are leaving. Yeah. It's just like, it's you, you have to make up for the new people, for the people who are, who are leaving, you have to get more people. If they get two more people in for every person mm-hmm. that left, that's what it constantly felt like. And I just remember, remember the pressure, like I, we weren't, we weren't married yet, but I remember, I remember calling up like my wife after meetings, it was my fiance at the time and saying like, I can't, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like, I just mm-hmm. feel like it's this constant pressure to find more people and to get more people. And yet there's these people sitting right in front of me that just, I know aren't getting what they need. And I feel like I'm not equipped to give it to them myself, but like, you know, I feel like there's nobody else to help because <laughs> like, you know, and yeah. it's like, I feel like all of my time is divided. And then, like you said, we have these Sunday morning worship services, which can be magical and amazing, but at the same time, it's, there's so much of your time that's devoted every week to putting this, this theater thing together, like you said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so much of that time is an energy is poured into that, that there's so many other things and other people that just aren't getting touched and aren't getting helped. And I feel like mm-hmm. it's just not only do we not allocate, I think, our money very well when it comes to churches, but also our time. Right. Not, you know, there's nothing wrong with this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like going to concerts. I like going to shows. Um, it, it it changes my emotional level. It it, you know, and that's that's kind of why I become addicted to it. Mm-hmm. But in our diet, there's nothing wrong with having ice cream cone every once in a while. It's just, that's not the only thing. And that right. can't be the main thing. That's right. Um, the main thing has got to be people and healing and, and finding relief from the things they're struggling with. And yeah. that yeah. takes a lot of time and a lot of energy, <laughs> you know, that it seems like the church just doesn't have. Yeah, so true. So you talk in the book about about the church needing to um, admit its failures, look mm-hmm. at its failures, talk about its failures, admit them. And you mentioned it a few times in the book, but I was wondering if you could talk to us a bit about why that's important. And I'm curious because I've heard this a lot of times before, and I have said it when I was a pastor too, that we should look back at our history and kind of come to grips with our failures. But what would you say to the person or the elder board or the pastor who is maybe listening or whatever and they're thinking to themselves, well, focusing on our failures is kind of a waste of time because Sleeping that's looking, yes, looking backwards, like that's already done. Let yeah. it go. We can repent, you know, we can confess, whatever, but it's time to move on and look in tomorrow and yeah. the future, things like that. What's your response to that type of, of argument? Yeah. So my, my first book was kind of about parenting and how I related that to God. Yeah. Um, my children know that I made mistakes. My children know that I didn't do everything perfect. And Laura and I talk a lot about how much grace they give us. Mm. But I still look back at all my years of parenting and I see the most significant moments in that experience was when I said, you know what, I'm sorry. 
Yeah. I, re I really screwed up. I did this wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, that changed our relationship. There's in the, the four agreements, they talk about acceptance. And at first, I don't, I don't you know, I don't want to like that word acceptance mm -hmm. because it sounds kind of like a cop out. You know, mm -hmm. when you say, I just need to accept this. What I've been kind of learning over the last last few months, maybe over the last year is that acceptance is more than that. Acceptance is uh, saying to the situation and saying to what we're going through, um, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. and, and until you can do that, there's there's no way to to process it correctly. Uh, you have to accept things for what they are, um, and anytime you bypass or ignore, we just push things down and make shadow and all kinds of problems. Um, my denomination, SBC, um, believes they're right. They believe God's on their side, and so they tend to say that this can't be our fault. Mm -hmm. You know, because we're right and God's on our side and we pray and we do mission work and we, we're the biggest. Um, but until you take that honest evaluation and say, you know, what's what's really true? What what is about me that's not right? And I, if I don't admit that um, what's unfelt is unchanged. Um, but when it's felt, it changes. So you have you have to feel it. You have to experience it um, and say, say, this is what we're doing wrong. This is what we did wrong. Um, this is why it can't go on any longer. Yeah. No matter what it costs us, we lose everything. We have to be real. Yeah. Right? Yep. <clears throat> my phone. That's all right. <laughs> which uh, it's funny because my, my camera is my phone. There we go. <laughs> and uh it rings sometimes even though i thought i turned it off so oh well sorry about that <laughs> but i think that's a, i think that's it's really important because you know i remember when i pastored the church the church i pastored was an old reformed church and it was built in like the i think it was the building itself i think was built in the early 1800s and so it was there for a long time and we had this like memory room you know that was full of all the memories of the church going all the way back, like different artifacts and different things. I remember I said to the, the, the elder board and deacon board one night, we had a meeting. So I feel like there's a great opportunity for us to go into that room together. And we, we weren't all here in the 1800s, obviously we don't want to know what's going on, but I feel like there's a, there's something we can go, we can go in there prayerfully, mindfully, we can listen to the the spirit and we can ask the spirit to show us maybe different mistakes that were made or different things that maybe the way maybe our church has hurt the community and someone who knows who, whatever it is who, who knows what the spirit might bring up in the moment and there was just such resistance to this idea that we could possibly have done anything wrong and so many people are like well i wasn't part of the problem so why should i have to go and do all these things there's just such this this pushback against looking back at our mistakes and i remember i said to them i said well we don't we push the congregation to look at their own mistakes mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. to repent before God and to do all these things. Like if we're pushing individuals to do that in the, in the pews, why shouldn't we as an institution or as a system or as a church or whatever, why shouldn't we be doing the same thing? Like, shouldn't we be modeling for the people, mm -hmm. the very thing that we're asking them to do? Like, and doesn't, 
wouldn't we all argue that life works so much better when we own our mistakes and we learn from our mistakes so we move on to make tomorrow different like it just seems so logical to me right 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 yeah i had i tell the story i think in the book about one of the churches i pastored and things were starting to roll pretty well so i decided to do an experiencing god study with them mm -hmm. i don't know if you're familiar with that blackaby blackaby yeah we did that a lot and um always had good success he's somewhat of a mystic for a southern mm -hmm. baptist um <laughs> and so i you know, I started sharing and my, my thing is to have people share, you know, from their story or from their heart yeah. and in the, in the, in that congregate, in that group was a 90 year old lady that was, she was the matriarch of the church. Mm -hmm. She was the Sunday school teacher for 60 years or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, and had, you know, knew everything about the Bible was the person at the church. But when I said, can you can you share something about your life, you know, in that area or whatever? And and it looked like I was holding a gun to her head mm. because that's that's not the tradition. That's not that's not the norm yeah. uh, to open up. And I think it was kind of at that point that I realized, you know, sometimes if we can just kind of fake it, get through this, put on a good show at church, then you know that even though we're just pushing things down, we're not really doing anything good. Mm -hmm. uh, it at least gives the impression that we are. Yeah. So one of the other comments you make in the book is that the American church isn't very good at a community. I was wondering if you could talk to me more about that because I find it really interesting and, and always have how uh, an institution that quite literally prides itself on its mastery of community right we have sunday worship services where everybody gathers as a community we have sunday school classes where people gather bible studies prayer groups community dinners all the different things i find it interesting and, and really troubling that an institution that's all about community in mm -hmm. in reality can be really bad at it to the point where the outlets of community tend to wound and hurt so many people who end up you know, finding themselves out in this desert, out in this wilderness, whatever. So maybe talk to us about what you mean by the church not doing community very well. Because even as I think about it, I look back over my own life, a lot of my deepest wounds from the church come from the places where I was gathered in the most intense community. So it's not to say that in some small groups and some contemplative groups that there's not some good community happening. Sure. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, um, as an organization, we do what's most expedient for the organization. 70% of the money, like we talked about, goes to those things and producing the show. And I already told you about Sarah Bessie's comment that we yep. just don't have time mm -hmm. for it. So it becomes kind of a faux community. And a lot of times, um, especially evangelical churches, um, have a common enemy intimacy that Brene Brown talks about, where... It's not necessarily about, um, you know, healing each other, helping each other. It's mm -hmm. more about we hate the same people, yeah. even if that's just the devil, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> even if it's just Satan or uh, something like that, or we, we hate the other party or we're better than the Methodists or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a common enemy and intimacy. Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, the church is still the most segregated hour of the week mm -hmm. um and so uh, 
a lot of bypassing that goes on, like we mentioned before. Uh, we say God is in control. It's going to work out okay. And we never really get to the root issue. So mm-hmm. in my mind, one of my hot buttons is uh, trunk or treat. <laughs> because we take people out of their real community where they live yep. and bring them to the church to do trunk or treat <laughs> right. instead of trick or treating in their own, you know, community. Maybe, <laughs> maybe so we can control it or something like that. But all of this stuff, you know, together in the second chapter, we talked about addictions. It creates mm-hmm. addictions. We become addicted to church. Um, there's a codependency there. Um, even as pastors, we were addicted to it. We're addicted to the adrenaline rush, the yeah. the feedback and so on. And so it, it's really more like a dysfunctional family. Mm. It's, it's really more like a sick body uh, than it is something healthy. And so that's, but that's the biggest thing. People say, uh, I need community and, and we're hardwired for connection. We know that, right? Mm-hmm. We're hardwired for connection. But and they say I need community. But mm-hmm. then uh Jason Elam and I, you know Jason most mm-hmm. likely. Jason and I were doing podcasts together for a while, and he would interview me and I'd interview him. And he looked at me one day and he said, he said, This feels like, you know, community. It feels like church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, It it does. I mean, we were interviewing people about racism and things like that. We were having deep conversations. We were bringing up our past hurts. We were were healing together, encouraging each other, all those things we should be doing. Uh, And you realize some of that unorchestrated community you find, we call it out in the desert, is is way more real than anything I experienced before uh, when I was playing church. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not, you know, it's, it's really hard. I think for people to understand that I'm I'm not just bashing church. I'm just saying it it's not working. It's it's yeah. a system that doesn't work. It doesn't produce real community. Yeah. And you know, I'd love to talk to people about that, but but uh it's very strong anyway, very strong. Yeah, no, for sure. And you that that's a perfect segue action to the next thing I wanted to ask you because you take a lot of heat on social media from people who think you want to just see the church demolished because <laughs> every right. day, every day I see somebody come at you all upset and angry because they think <laughs> that you think you, you know, they think you want to see the church go away, but what you really want, and you say this again and again in the book, you've said it already, you know, in our, in our conversation here is you want to see the church reimagined. Uh, mm-hmm. You want to see the church re rethought. And so I was wondering if we could maybe just talk for a moment. I'm sure that you've put a lot of thought into this and, and you and Laura together, but what does it look like in your mind to reimagine church? Like what aspects of the church uh, need like fresh reimagination breathed into them in order to maybe to be all that it can be, all that it was, all that it has the potential to be. Yeah. So um, first, you know, to, to connect to that, mm-hmm. we need to imagine what real community is. Like, like we mentioned before, it makes time for my grief. Yeah, it doesn't okay. bypass my issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it deals with them. Um, I think, you know, one of the things is to disband the organization. Mm-hmm. But I th- I think that the trouble people have with reimagining is they, they look at it in a, f- 
a framework of an org- organization and they associate it with a building. Mm-hmm. Carl Jung um, talked about the giant turd that fell on the cathedral. I don't know if you ever heard that before. <laughs> no, I haven't. But I think it was you know, part of his imagination about, um, you know, uh, re-engineering. You know, to re-engineer, you have to totally take it apart. Yeah. Um, the pan in the pandemic, I think we learned what's important. Um, you know, because people couldn't go to church for a certain amount of time. Um, we also found out how determined people were to be selfish and things like that as well. Um, but I think somewhere in there and in these deconstruction circles and the places out in the desert, we're kind of learning what real community is. Mm. And I want to say it's possible. It's a very simple thing. You know, it has to do with, you know, Laura talks about, when if you were to interview Laura, she talks about, coming out in her deconstruction and that and having those big questions like who am i mm-hmm. uh what do i like to do what do i believe yeah what yeah. do i believe yeah. um but i would say you know what feeds your soul um what helps you heal what does your inner knowing say mm. and i would say start being that mm. And when you do that, it, it becomes pretty simple, I think, you know, yeah. and unevolved and it doesn't take a lot of money. Um, but it's simply, you know, being with your family, it's being with friends, it's um, asking questions, yeah. <clears throat> asking big questions, asking deep questions. And then maybe more than anything, it's it's about listening yeah. to each other. Yeah. Those Benedictine sisters, although they're probably mad because I'm writing this book (laughs) (laughs) because they're a part of an an organized religious system, but um, they taught me deep, deep listening. It's the greatest gift anyone's ever given me to be able to listen to someone and, and really hear them. And I think that's what we need as much as anything. That's really good. I think, I think we've, and I'm sure you can you would you would feel this as a former pastor that for for a long time like you 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 come to this place where you feel like church is the only place where you can find community mm-hmm. but i know for me like the thought of leaving church was horrifying because like all of my relationships are in the church and all of my all of my outlets for community are in the church whether it be a bible study or prayer meeting or sunday morning whatever it is like that's where i go to be with people and to meet with people and mm-hmm. what i'm finding now is having been apart from that for so long and apart from those those former tribes there's so many other aspects of community that are available that i think are much deeper than a lot of the things i experienced like you said i mean there's been wonderful experiences in the church that i had of community and would mm-hmm. wouldn't trade any of those for for the world but there's also been ones that have fallen way short. And for the ones that have fallen way short out here in the desert, the wilderness, whatever, I found so many other ways to connect with people and to really have deep and meaningful relationships. I'm sure you can relate to it with the desert sanctuary. It's very similar with my podcast. Like I've met so many amazing people and we have conversations like this, whether it be in a group setting or one-on-one, whatever, where I feel really connected to people and they really help me process my 
my baggage to help me process my grief. I mean, just mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, I sat down with somebody for the podcast and I just opened up to them. I said, I have some really personal things I want to share with you on mm-hmm. recording because I feel like mm-hmm. other people are going to benefit from this. And I shared just really deep things going on in my heart and my soul. And this person is like trained in meditation and mindfulness and Buddhism and things. And she really talked to me on a level that nobody else really talked to me, but met, met my grief with wide open arms and helped me walk through it. And I'm like this, mm-hmm. like you said with Jason, like this is community. Like mm-hmm. this is what it's all about is somebody making yeah. space for my grief, not right. judging me, willing to go off of the agenda that maybe we had to help me process through this thing. And I think that's, it's, it's so good. It's so yeah, good. it is. It is it's not all in one place. It's, it's not all orchestrated. That's right. It happens organically. It's not in the bulletin, right? Right. We're yeah, going to hit this. In- <laughs> as we move through life and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. It really is. All right, Carl. So one, one last thing. Um, this book obviously was a very personal book that you and Laura wrote and your hearts are in there all over the place. And I was wondering if you could uh, close us out by sharing something from the book. Um, whatever part of the book kind of speaks to you the most in this moment, in this season of your life that you could pass along and uh, share with our listeners and maybe provide a small amount of commentary <laughs> on it as well. Yeah, hopefully I can I can find it and you have a good editor where you can I can cue some music right now. <laughs> yeah. Take me just a second to find it. Sure. Albert Einstein said the important thing is to never stop questioning. Sure. We believe differently than we did ten years ago. When we honestly let ourselves be curious, we found deeper and better answers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the answers were amazingly simple but often they were nuanced and mysterious and complicated. We are so glad we asked those questions. Mm. We would have never navigated the stroke recovery uh, with my old understanding. The key to discovering beauty and truth is to remain curious, not defend what we already know. Mm. We can't solve the problems and challenges of the 21st century with old ideas. We can't cling to beliefs and ideas just because the group we are familiar with believes that way. As the world evolves, our understanding of it has to move with it, or we will find ourselves somewhat irrelevant to the world around us. There's no simple catchphrase answers anymore. Many Many of these things are complicated, and when we try to oversimplify them, we end up missing the target completely. Solving big problems is scary because we have to leave the comfort zone of our answers and compromise and cooperate with others to find the best solutions. Mm -hmm. It's really always been this way. The problems are simply different these days. Mm -hmm. We're not asking you to give up anything, but question and consider everything evolve and if your religion survives then so be it if it doesn't survive then maybe you never needed it anyway Mm. we wish you well on your journey be where you are and be who you are carl and laurel forehand Mm. that's how we kind of closed out the book i love that just be who you are be where you are i think that's 
that's the freedom, right? I mean, how many of us longed for that freedom in, in church? I know I did. I mean, just the constant desire to just be accepted and welcomed for who I was, where I was with my questions. And mm-hmm. that what that what you just read is what so many people are longing for. So well mm-hmm. done. Well done. All right, Carl, we're just about out of time. Uh, but as always, this has been a real treat. So thank you so much for joining me. And uh, thank you for your and Laura's work in this book. Well, thank you. And I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And real quick, is there anywhere you want to point our listeners to online where they can go to interact with you and, and your work? You mentioned the Desert Sanctuary. I don't, I don't know if you want to mention that to our listeners. Yeah, everything's called the Desert Sanctuary. So Facebook and so on, mm-hmm. the blog on Patheos and uh, then our podcast. But if, if you go to Carl Forehand, Carl's with a K and Forehand's like in tennis. If you go to carlforehand.com, <laughs> it points to everything, and including my books, which are on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and so forth and so on. So uh, if you visit my Facebook page, you can't you can't miss <laughs> whatever I'm promoting because I'm, I'm kind of ridiculous with it. <laughs> it's all there. Well, I'll put all the links in the show notes for everybody. All right. Thanks. Awesome. Man. Thanks, Carl. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Uh, wish I on a pot on some gold with the rainbow. By the time Clancy. Uh, wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run, I'm a check. Wish I had no other sandbox beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh, wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own picture. We bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland, so much we're high on demand. Tiptoe around throwing high lows, feel like James Brown, love we going here to dance. Let me talk, at the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion, going ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience, dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wish I had red bottles on my feet, everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride, did this beat neat? Ever wanna follow my speed? Let's close those more keys. Hey. Carolina Rose on freeze. Hey. Wishing I could fly to the keys. Hey. That will be more free. Hey. Something hit my mind, hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Uh. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at the fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. I wish.